Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. Well, thanks again for being here today. We're excited to be celebrating Father's Day. I mean, that was a great video, wasn't it? Every time I see that, I'm just encouraged by it, reminded about the awesomeness of our God and what he's done for us. I love how it just talks through that. Well, I hope you'll take your Bibles with me this morning, and let's go to Acts chapter number 16 today. Acts chapter 16, as we continue uh, our study through the book of Acts. And of course, today is Father's Day. And so got to say happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. And uh, we've got a special gift for all of our dads who are here today. If you're not here today, uh, let me know, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. We'll get it shipped to you or something. Um, but uh, I'm I'm thankful definitely for my father today and for everything that my dad has taught me and uh, all that he means to me and to to my family, of course. But I'm also blessed today to be called a dad, and that's a wonderful thing, you know. I mean, I remember when I was first called dad by one of my kids and how special that was. Um, but I got to be honest with you this morning, when it comes to uh, being a dad, I got to tell you, being a father is nothing like I expected it to be. Just to be completely honest with you, I remember back when Jeanette and I were. Even dating, we would talk about kids. If you can believe it, we talk about kids. Uh, by the way, if you're dating somebody and they're talking about kids, that means they're serious. And so we would do that. And you no, know, we would talk about kids. And and I remember we talk about what our family would look like. And and especially when we got married and started thinking about having a family, I had this idea of what it was going to be. I had this idea of the kind of dad I was going to be. Man, I'm going to be this. Obviously, I thought I was going to be an awesome dad, you know. And uh, I had this thought. I, I will. I'll let you decide if that came true or not. But I, I had this great vision in my mind. This is what it's going to be like. And uh, uh, I, I even had in my mind, like, what would be the perfect makeup of our family, like the kids and, you know, how it would all be. And, and, uh, and I got to tell you, though, it didn't turn out anything like I expected. Like most things in life, they are not <laughs> the way you imagine it to be. And, and, and for me, in the case of being a dad, I got to tell you, it is far better than I ever could have imagined. Far better than I would have thought it would have been the way that our family has turned out. Broken bones and all, it has turned out uh, really, really great. And I'm so thankful for that. And, and you say, well, why is that? Why, why is it that it's better than you imagined? Because here's why. No matter the challenges you might face in life, no matter the difficulties that you may go through personally, if you are following the will of God and walking in his will, it is still the best life that you could ever hope for. No matter what you face in life, if you are following the Lord and you are confident in his will, it is the best life that you could ever desire. Because when you follow the will of God for your life, it will take you places that you never thought that you would go. It, would bring, it will bring aspects into your life that you never expected to happen. And if you are following him, no matter what your plans are, you could say, like David said in Psalm 1611, where he said, in his presence is fullness of joy. What does that mean? That means that no matter where God takes you, if you're in his will, it's going to be a great place. It's going to be the fullness of life that you desire. And when we, we follow the leading of God's will, it will always be different than what you planned on. And that's okay. Do you know that? It's okay. Uh, we struggle with that, right? Because we think, oh man, if, if, if it doesn't go how I envision it to be, then man, just forget about God. No, no. Listen, following God, it may be different, but it's going to be the best life that you could ever experience. And that is a principle that we see all throughout the Bible. And especially what we're going to see today in the book of Acts, we're going to see that biblical principle backed up that if you follow the will of God, it may not take you where you expect it to take you, but in the end, God's will is going to be done and you will be amazed at what he does. And so today we're in Acts chapter number 16, and that's where we left off with the missionary dream team. If you remember last week, I mean, the dream team had been 
been assembled. We had Paul and we had Barnabas. We had Silas now joining in and Judas was also joining. This is not the Judas who betrayed Jesus. You know that, a different Judas. And uh, they were all together and they were traveling from Jerusalem at the Jerusalem council. And they went back up to Antioch of Syria and they came to the church and they told them there that the legalistic opinions of the Jews who had said, in order to be truly saved, you have to follow the Jewish law. What they came to say is that, listen, that's been done. That we, we met together and we realized that through scripture and through truth, uh, you do not have to follow the Jewish law. You can be saved by grace and by grace alone. Is faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone and through his grace, a person can be saved. You cannot add anything at all to it because gospel math looks like this, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There is nothing at all that needs to be added to Jesus Christ. Now, the message that, that they brought to them, that message would have brought great joy to the church in Antioch. I hope you understand that. They would have been excited. They would have been very uh, thankful uh, to hear that. They would have been encouraged. It would have brought great joy. And so those four men decided to stay in Antioch and they continued to teach and they continued to preach the gospel and encourage them and invested in that local church. But remember, Paul is not just a normal guy. We have to remember that about the Apostle Paul. He's not just a normal guy. And so for him to stay put there for a while was great, and he enjoyed it, and he enjoyed investing in other people. However, he still carried that strong desire to share his faith, to tell other people about Jesus, and to encourage the churches that he had already started. And so he whips out his phone, and he texts Barnabas, and he says, hey, bro, it's time for us to get moving. You say, really? Yeah, well, it's in the text, so I guess we could call it a text, right? Look at, uh, oh, man, that's lame. Acts chapter, it's dad joke day, right? So Acts chapter 15, <laughs> Acts chapter 15, and we'll look at verse number 36. It says, and some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So I want you to take notice here what's happening here. Paul says, let's go back to Cyprus. Let's go back to Lystra. Let's go back to Iconium. Let's go back to these cities and make sure that they are doing okay. Make sure that those new believers are growing in their faith. That's what Paul always desired. He desired that people would know Christ and grow in Christ. And that should be our desire as well. Not just that people would be saved, and that's important, but that people would also be growing in their faith. Because that then interprets or, or plays out in the process of multiplication, right? A mature believer will share their faith. And so that's what Paul's plan is. His plan is, and by the way, I think it's a great plan, don't you? It's a good plan. I'm gonna go and we're gonna go Barnabas and we're gonna encourage these churches and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna help them out. But here's the thing I want you to notice. Take note at the beginning here. Paul had a plan, but God was about to change his plans. Paul had a plan, but God is just about to change his plans. And he's going to have to learn something that you and I need to learn on an almost daily basis is that we can trust the direction and the guidance of the Lord, even if it's not according to what our plans are. So Paul had a plan, right? But now things are about to change for him. And the first thing that is about to change, point number one, is we're going to see here a change of companions, a change of companions. Now we know he had already reached out to Barnabas. But now things are about to change. Look at verse number 37 and 38. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. We call him John Mark. But Paul, now remember, who is John Mark? He is Barnabas' nephew. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So I want you to see here 
uh, what's happening here. Paul brought his desire to bring or to start a second missionary journey, right? We can see that. He says, I want to go out. I want to visit everybody again. But what we see here is Barnabas, who's known as an encourager. Remember that? He's an encourager. Barnabas says to Paul, hey, Paul, you know what? That's great. I think we should go and do that. But you know what I also want to do is I want to bring along John Mark, my nephew. Remember him from before, the first missionary journey. I want to bring him along. I want to encourage him. I believe that he's grown spiritually. I think that he's made some changes and I want to bring him along. And, uh, but Paul here would have none of it. Did you see that? He says, I do not want him. He departed from us. I imagine the conversation like, no way, Barn. <laughs> Maybe call him Barney. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Absolutely not, Barney. I am not bringing that nephew with me again. That guy left us. He left us before we started that climb up the mountain to Antioch. I mean, he, he left us when we were about to face all of those robbers, remember? And he left us. We could have used him. He was young. He could have helped us. I was sick. You know, what happened? course, Barnabas says, come on, Paul, like time has passed. A lot has changed. And Paul again is like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No way whatsoever. Do I want, Bar uh, um, do I want, uh, do I want uh, John Mark to come along with us? Look at verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them. That is the idea of like, uh, elevated emotion, <laughs> raising your voice. The contention was so sharp that they departed asunder one from the other. They split up. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having recommended by the brethren under the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, all Paul wanted to do was go on another missionary journey, right? That's all that he wanted to do. And before he'd even begun to pack, I think, things started to unravel. As soon as he sent that text to Barnabas and it came back with a frowny face, you know, uh, or uh, I want to bring Mark. As soon as it happened, things just began to unravel for them. So what do we make of this separation? Because when we read this, it's like, okay, wait a minute. This doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that two godly people, that two Christians cannot seem to get over something so much so that they have to split up, that they go their separate ways. Now, here's what we can learn, first of all, from this little, just this little detail here in the book of Acts. Here's what we learn. These guys are not angels. They're men. <laughs> they're men. They are men just like you and I. Even though they carried the title of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas the Encourager, they are men just like us. They are flawed humans. And even people that we view as incredible missionaries will sometimes face moments of contention. And to be honest with you, we have to remember here that sometimes these doses of reality that we see in Scripture are good for us because it reminds us of the fact that not everyone is perfect. It also shows us that the Word of God was definitely not written by man because <laughs> mankind would not include all the nitty-gritty, all, the, all the, the dirty aspects of life. But we know that God inspired him, and I'm sure uh, as he's writing the book of Acts, you know, Luke, he's like, you want me to put that in there, Lord? Yeah, he's like, why don't we just pretend that didn't happen? No, no, put it in here so that we know they are human, they are, they are fallible. I think one of the things that it teaches us is that we have to remember that there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor or perfect leadership in a church. It simply does not exist. And so if you're the kind of person who is always searching for the perfect church and the perfect pastor, I'm going to tell you, you're going to live a life of always bouncing around from church to church to church in search or thinking, finally, I have found the perfect pastor. Finally, I found the perfect church. But guess what? They're going to let you down at some point because we are humans and we all fail and we all uh, have relational challenges in doing the work of God. The only thing that we can focus on ourselves 
is to walk humbly, to walk graciously before God and one another. Now, somebody once said uh, about this passage, he said, when you see this initial story, your judgment goes with Paul, like, okay, that makes sense, but your heart goes with Barnabas, like, oh, let's give him a second chance. And, and we kind of are torn between those two. But the fact is, is I believe that both of these men at this moment were not living in the spirit of God. I, I really do believe that. Which again shows us, Paul, I think by the spirit of God, he should have gone on a journey. However, in this moment, they both were not walking in the spirit because you notice neither of them gave an inch. You see that? Neither of them, neither of them gave in it at all for the sake of unity. They held their ground. And guess what? If you're the kind of person who's unwilling to ever uh, humble yourself or unwilling to find common ground, uh, if there's an issue or unwilling to follow Matthew chapter 18, which is a great passage on this, you will find yourself splitting ways with people. You'll find yourself in contention relationally. And both of these men did that. And so they split up and, and they went to two separate things and that uh, two separate missionary teams. And this is what I, I think we can see in this as well, is that even though they were not walking in the spirit, even though there was division, God came in and he was able to overrule in that situation and still make something good out of this. And so we see now two missionary teams going out to do two different places. I've got a map of how they went. You can see they almost went exactly the opposite from each other. Uh, Barnabas and Mark went right there. And then Paul and Silas went north and they said, see you later. We can't do this anymore. And they completely split ways and they went out then on this journey. Now, the passage in Acts follows Paul and Silas. We don't know what happened with Barnabas and Mark over there. Later on, we get some details about it, but right now we don't know what was happening. But the passage follows Paul and Silas. And then we see, though, another change coming. So Paul says, I'm on a missionary trip. Paul and Barnabas, here we go, man. Okay, all right, uh, Paul and Silas. All right, here we go. And now God's gonna add somebody else to the team. And we see beginning in Acts chapter 16, verse one. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, we call him Timothy, the son of a certain woman, uh, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So he has a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. Verse 2, this is, this is the report of him, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. You know, to me, what is so great when you see this is you remember back to what happened in Lystra the first time that Paul and Barnabas went there. If you remember, they got there and immediately they healed a man who'd been lame from birth. You remember that? And then the people came running, you know, and they are the Greek gods of Mercury. Remember? And they started and they called them these names and, and they brought out the fatted calf and the, the, the priest came out and they're going to slaughter and sacrifice. And then it says that Paul and Barnabas came. Remember, they tore their clothes. Why would you do this? And then it says they, they couldn't even, they just barely stopped them from sacrificing. And then some Jews came and said, oh, by the way, these are false teachers. And then they stoned Paul. Remember that? And they killed him. That was Lystra. Well, he goes right back there. And what does he find when he comes back to Lystra is he finds that there are believers there. And particularly we're told about Timotheus, Timothy, who at this point we believe was a teenager, but he was somebody who had a, a great reputation. His father was an unbeliever. Now, whenever it's like Father's Day and you're preaching through a passage, you're like, okay, how can I work this into Father's Day? The only father in this passage is an unbeliever. So I'm not going to talk about that today. Uh, but what we do see is we'd see a great mom and we see a great grandmother who raised Timothy to love and know God. You say, how do you know that? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5, it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith 
which is in Christ Jesus. Now, we, we could take some time today and preach about the importance of raising your children for the Lord, for protecting them, for uh, exposing them early to biblical truth. All of these are great and fantastic principles, but the evidence of what happens when you follow that, and I understand it's not in every case, but if a child is, is truly born again and you raise them uh, in, the, in the, the ways of the Lord, you are going to see the testimony of your child develop such that it was like Timothy. And this is a testimony that I desire for all of my children. You say, well, what was the testimony? Well, we saw it there in verse number two, that he was well reported of by the brethren. What does that mean? That means that uh, he was well thought of. It means that he had a good testimony above, it says not only in Lystra, but also in Iconium, people thought very highly of this young man named Timothy. Now listen, we live in a kind of an odd society today in some regard, and the society we live in says this, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, right? We live in that society. And there are elements, by the way, there are elements to that that are important. You cannot live your life for the approval of other people. You will, you will suffer and suffer and suffer, and then you will die, okay? Uh, that is not the way to live life. However, as believers, we do recognize the power of a testimony, don't we? We recognize how influential we can be, and we recognize as Christians how much influence we truly do have in other people. And so we need to guard our testimony. We need to guard what other people do think about us. And while our society says, just don't care, just do whatever it is that you want, we have to remember that there's nothing wrong to be well thought of within our community. There's nothing wrong with having uh, an acceptable testimony and recognizing the power of our reputation, the power of our, of our lifestyle, and how it can either pull someone to Christ or it can push somebody away from Christ. All of us have met people who said they were a Christian that made us not want to be a Christian anymore. That happened to me as a pastor. I'm a pastor of a Christian church. I believe the Bible and other Christians do things and I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a Christian anymore if it means I'm going to be like that. Now, and then I shake my head and realize there are bad people everywhere you go, okay? But for the most part, as Christians, we should desire a proper testimony. And Timothy was a man of character. And you say, well, how do you know he was also a character? He had a good reputation. He also had great character. Here's why. Verse number three, look at verse three. He says, him would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul said, I want to take him with me. But then look what happens. And took and circumcised him because of the Jews that, uh, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Okay, wait a minute here. So Paul wants Timothy to go on this trip. He just came from Jerusalem. I said, you don't have to keep the law, right? But then he says, Timothy, if you're going to come with me, uh, Timothy says, all right, let's do this thing. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he goes through this painful surgery before they can go out. And you're like, wait a minute, we just talked about this. We just, we just abolished it. And you would be right. And by the way, later on, there's a guy by the name of Titus who desired to follow this Jewish rite. And Paul was like, no, you're not going to do it. So what is, what is happening here, right? You're like, wait a minute, we just finished talking about this. What's going on? Here's the thing. Timothy was both a Jew and a Greek, right? We saw his mom was a Jew, his father was, was, uh, was, was a Gentile. So in, according to rabbinical law, if your mother was a Jew, then you as a child were considered a Jew. And here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that Timothy... It says that everyone knew his dad was a Greek, an unbelieving Greek, and everyone knew that his mom was a believing Jew. And so for Timothy to go out and to minister and to minister to Jews in a lot of ways, it would have been very offensive to them if they knew you are a Jew, your mom is Jewish, but yet they realized he had never obeyed the law in that way. 
And so as a matter of missionary strategy, that's what we're seeing here. Missionary strategy as a sign of respect to his Jewish heritage and in an attempt to maintain unity between the Jews and the Gentiles, Timothy goes through this Jewish rite. Simply put, here's what I want you to notice. Timothy is showing his character by willingly submitting himself to a non-essential standard. Very clear. He is submitting himself to a non-essential standard in order to minister to the, uh, for the Lord in a more effective way. In that moment, what he's doing here is he is doing this in preparation for his future ministry, of course. And as we see, the fact that he could minister to both Jews and Gentiles allowed him to bridge uh, several different cultures throughout his ministry life. But here's what I want you to notice. This is the example of a life of grace that James had talked about in Jerusalem. Remember? He said you need to abstain for some things in order to, uh, to, to uh, be kind and to show grace towards your Jewish, uh, Jewish brethren. Just like we want the Jews to uh, not put the law on the Gentiles in the same way, we need to give and to take it. So that's what he's doing. He's willingly submitting himself uh, in order to minister a little bit more effectively. So I got to ask you today, is there anything in your life, anything in your life, and you think about it, anything in your life at all that you should lay aside that is, that, that is your right, but maybe you should lay aside in order to minister more effectively to other people? Uh, maybe something that's keeping you from influence maybe within the church or even without the church that you're holding on to that you're like, you know what? If I surrender that by a expression of grace, I could maybe then be used by God in a little bit of a different way. Sometimes it's just an attitude, right? Sometimes it's just an attitude that you need to maybe just say, you know what, I'm going to surrender that, that, that attitude that I have towards other people or that attitude I have towards things or that distrust that I carry with me everywhere and I kind of use it all the time. Maybe you're just going to lay that aside so that God can maybe help you to impact other people's lives. Uh, it could be fear, uh, whatever it may be. Oftentimes, there are things in our lives that we need to lay aside in order to minister more effectively. And Timothy is an example of somebody willing to put the will of God above his own preferences. I, I don't think he preferred this. I just got to tell you, all right? I don't think he preferred it at all. Uh, but he willingly did it because he realized it would allow him to minister more effectively. He was living out what Paul later called uh, becoming all things to all people, the idea of being willing to uh, adapt uh, not necessarily to change your beliefs, but to minister more effectively. Well, let's get uh, continue on down. Let's get to verse number four. And as they went through the cities and delivered them the decrees uh, for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So they're talking about the law again. They're talking about the grace alone. It says, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Increased in number daily. You know, uh, you really have to admire Paul's concern for these other believers. As he just went out and went through difficult travel, it was not easy, and he went out to these churches, and he encouraged them, and he built them up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of the efforts of Paul and Timothy, of course, uh, um, uh, Silas was still with them. By the grace of God, we see that the churches were strengthened. They continued to grow. Uh, and, and to me, it's a picture of God-given resilience and God-given passion that we see in the Apostle Paul. The fact that he would just continue on, continue on. He would travel. He would, he would go to great lengths in order to take the gospel and to encourage other believers. It's that same kind of uh, uh, courage and that same kind of faithfulness that we see today in those Sunday school teachers who teach the third grade class for 27 years. You know? That's what we 
see. It's that same kind of courage and resilience that we see in lifetime missionaries. People give their entire lives and and live their life and raise their children and die on a mission field. For pastors who give of their entire life to serve and church members that are faithful to the Lord and serving and staying in the church through thick and thin and being there and giving and being faithful, that's the kind of legacy that we see here in the Apostle Paul. And it's the kind of legacy that I want as a person today. As a father on Father's Day, I want a legacy of faithfulness to the cause of Christ. And Paul demonstrates that to us, even in the middle of all of these changes that he's going in. And so we see his companions here being changed, but we also see some other things change. The companions changed, the mission was still the same, but as Paul had an idea of where he was gonna go, we see another change take place. And that's our second point, is that we see a change of course, a change of course. So there's a change of companions, the people that he's with, But Paul's still like, all right, well, I'm still going in the right direction. I'm still going where I need to go. But now we see a change of course. Look at verse number six. This is interesting. And when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, interesting, and were forbidden, forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. That's two times. And they passed, uh, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. Now, Paul had a plan for where he wanted to go. And first he goes to what would be known as Asia Minor. That's not Asia as in the continent that we think of today. It was actually a Roman province that was called Asia. It's in modern day Turkey uh, today. And he would have been trying to go to cities like Smyrna, Ephesus, Sardis, Laodicea. Now you recognize all of those names because he does eventually go there in another missionary journey. But that's what his desire was, was to come down and to go in that area. But it's says that the Holy Spirit suffered him not or told him and did not allow him to go. So then he says, okay, well, Lord, if you don't want me to go here, then I'm going to go to Bithynia. And that was another province that was northeast of this province of Asia. But it says that the Spirit of God did not allow them to go there as well. You say, well, how how did they know that the Spirit of God was telling them no? How How did they know that? Well, it's the same way that we know God gives us direction today. It's the same way through prayer, through the word, uh, through teaching, through uh, sitting and, and listening to his spirit, asking him. And, and, and typically for us, of course, when it comes to hearing the, the Holy Spirit or hearing God's direction, we want to know what to do. But you have to realize that sometimes God tells you what not to do. And that's what we see here. Paul's like, I'm going to do this thing. And to all of us are like, yeah, that's great, man. Go, go, like go preach the gospel to those places. But God said, no, 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 not at this time. Now is not the time. And he held us back. And that's often how God works. We are always looking for the direction, right? Like, go, you know, waiting for God to be like, this is it. You know, this is the one to marry. You know, this is the, <laughs> this is the investment to make. This is the person to witness to. And sometimes God's like, no, that is not the person to marry, right? <laughs> that is not the investment to make. That is not the decision to make for you. That is not the job to take. That is not the move you need to do at this point. And God is very, very clear in those ways. And so for Paul and Silas and Timothy, you got to think, uh, we also believe Luke was there with them at this time. They're wondering like, okay, so what are we doing then? We've gone all the way up and around. We started going, nope, all right, we're going over here. What are we going to do? Well, then they arrive in this city called Troas. And in Troas, a monumental event takes place where God does something very unique and he gives them some great clarity as to what the future is going to look like for the Apostle Paul. Look at verse number nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. You're like, oh man, well, if I had that, 
right? If I had that, then it's all good. Well, you're not the Apostle Paul. So a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And in his vision, it says that there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, so the man of Macedonia is speaking to Paul. He said this, come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, when I was a kid, we had these Bible character building tapes, and it came in like in a suitcase, and the suitcase would open, and there would be li- it'd be lined with just tapes. And on one side, it was all character building stories, and on the other side, it was all Bible stories. And I listened to every single one of those tapes probably a dozen times throughout my life. And every time I read this passage, I think of that story where in that passage in the dream, the guy goes, come over into Macedonia. I always remember being creeped out. It's like, I don't want to go there. If that's the guy I got to go see. It wasn't a ghost, all right? This was a vision of a man saying, we need help over here in Macedonia. Verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. So God spoke and we're going to follow. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us, and this is an interesting thing. This is the first time we see that, that, that uh, term, us, uh, of a group of people. It's always been uh, uh, singular before. The Lord has called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, God chose to speak to Paul through a vision, like we mentioned. And in this vision, this man appears. We don't know who he is. There is some interesting speculation as to who it was. But we don't know. So we're not going to speculate at all. And he says, and he gives him this plea to help. And it was a call for the gospel in Macedonia. And for Paul, that's all he needed. That's all he needed was some direction from God. Remember, up until this point, they had only been stopped from ministering by the Spirit. But this was different. Very clearly, the Lord was leading them. And so once they talked it over, they immediately concluded that God was calling them to preach the gospel uh, there in uh, there in Macedonia, the word that is assuredly gathered. That's the idea of of uh, coming to a conclusion, putting the pieces of a puzzle together. That they are to go to Macedonia, which is modern day Greece uh, today. Now, for the first time, this is what I want you to get. For the first time now, the gospel through the Apostle Paul is going to be going to Europe for the first time. Now, you think about Europe right now, and you think of the implications of Christianity upon things like art right? On music, on architecture. You think of all of these things. Now, granted, we don't agree with everything or everything that came out of there, but you got to think all of that stemmed before it was a pagan land. All of that stemmed on what is happening right now with the gospel, with Christianity now being taken over to Europe. The implications are incredible as to what's going to happen. And we're going to talk about that next week. And so I'm looking forward to that. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about just how it happens over there. I got some amens because I know last week I preached a little long. I know. I heard, I heard an amen on that one when I said next week because they think I'm done. I'm not done yet. So we're going to stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Um, but I, I want to bring a few thoughts out of what we've covered so far, okay? Uh, because we know, as we talked about at the very beginning of the Bible study, uh, when we began the book of Acts, that the book of Acts is a descriptive book, remember? It's not necessarily a prescriptive book, meaning what we read, we are reading a description of what God was doing uh, in the early church, and there were some supernatural things that happened. And so we today do not go there and be like, oh, well, why aren't we seeing that happen? Or, oh, why aren't we doing that specific thing? There was a lot of, I mean, the Holy Spirit coming down, all of these different things that were taking place as God was establishing his church. And so from that point, we read this and we're like, okay, uh, there's some things here that we uh, understand, some things we don't understand. But what I want to share with you for the last few minutes here this morning is how we can understand and how we can follow God's guidance from this passage 
without receiving a divine, uh, a divine vision in the night, okay? Without having these supernatural events happen to us, it is still possible for you to see and to follow the guidance of the Lord. And I just want to point out a few thoughts here. And I've just got some sentences that, I, that, I, that I've got that I want to share with you. So first of all, that we can learn from this passage is that God guides us both through closed doors and open ones. God can guide you through closing a door and God can guide you through an open door. God blocked Paul and his companions from going to Asia and Bithynia twice before he appealed for them to go to Macedonia. The first two instances, they had a divine no. It was a clear leading from the Spirit. No, we are not to do this. In the last case, they received a yes. By the way, doesn't that sound like your life sometimes with the Lord? No, 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 no. Okay, yes, right? It's because we're always pushing, right? We're, we don't often sit back and wait for the Lord. We're always like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this. And, and God has to say, all right, all right, just, just take, it, take it easy, okay? Now, this double guidance or this idea of restraint and then uh, prompting is interestingly enough, it typifies a lot of missionary endeavors. I just, you do a little look back at history. I found it very interesting. David Livingston, for instance, a great missionary. He wanted to go to China, but instead ended up in Africa and had a great ministry there. Uh, William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but was then ended up in India. Adoniram Judson went to India first, and then he ended up in Burma. Now, Now to us, we are so bothered by resistance, aren't we? And that's the thing you have to really notice about yourself. We are bothered by resistance to anything that we feel we should do. But the truth is we need to rejoice when God restrains us and we need to rejoice when God pushes us or points us in the directions that he wants us to go. The things that he prevents and the things that he permits are of his will for us. And so we have to remember, and some of you might be facing a closed door right now and you're like, God, open that door for me. Right? I, mean, I mean, knock it down, blow it over, whatever. And, and you're, you're frustrated at that closed door. But listen, God is guiding you in that closed door. He is protecting you in that closed door. He is showing you that, okay, at least we know this is not it. And I, I love that about the Lord. Oftentimes in my life, I say, God, either open this door or shut this door. You know, Let me know at least one way or another. And often he closes that door and we're like, okay, well, that's not the one for us. And so God's guidance, uh, he guides us through both closed doors and open doors. But secondly, God's guidance isn't just circumstantial. It's also rational. Now I'll explain what I mean by that. It's not just all these circumstances. There's a rational a- aspect to it. You know, understanding what the Lord desires for us involves us thinking over the matters as this text illustrated. I already said it before, um, but the verb that is translated assuredly gathering in verse number 10 is the idea of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So those missionaries there were not just guessing. They were making their decision based off of godly wisdom that said, okay, well, you know, Paul, I know you really wanted to go over there to Asia. And then, you know, the Spirit said no. And I know that you really wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit wouldn't allow you to do that. And this vision that came, you know, like, you know, what do we chalk this up to? Is this really, okay, well, based off of God saying no to those areas, and then this supernatural situation Okay, this is what God wants us to do. Do you see what they're doing? They're rationally thinking through it. They're putting the pieces together for what God is trying to show us. And and for us as Christians, we need to remember that there is a biblical principle of stillness, of waiting on the Lord, of listening uh, listening to what God is saying to us and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. We have to be conscious of how God is leading us. We have to ponder it. Not every leading from God is earth shattering, right? 
we like to think that, oh, you know, anytime God speaks, I mean, the ground shakes and I almost fall over, you know, and the hand on my watch goes, you know, and, and uh, oh, God's talking to me. No, no, it's not always earth shattering. God, God puts things in order for us. And if we're paying attention to him, that's why he says, heed my word, know my word, listen, gather together, be in church, listen to what I'm saying. He's trying to put things in order for us. And it leads us clearly in a direction if we're looking for him. I remember when we uh, were, were, when the Lord began to work in my heart about planting a church, planting City Baptist, it was literally months, I think six months of messages and personal devotions and, and little details and people and whatever it may be that God began to put in my life. And as I was praying about it and pondering it, I began to see, okay, God is, God is leading me to something. The changes in my heart, the, 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 the situations that Lord, the Lord was showing me, this is what you are to do. And then I guess what I did? I sought counsel on it. And I began to seek and I began to put it together rationally. Okay, this is God's will for my life. And so I, I would just encourage you with this. Stop waiting for that massive moment to come. Pay attention. If you're in church, right, and God speaks to you in a unique way and you can't shake it, you're like, man, that really wasn't even the main point of the message, but God really, ponder it. Think about it. God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me in this situation? Don't just seek God's will apart from counsel and other godly Christians. You got to rationally walk through it. But then uh, thirdly, God's guidance often comes gradually and unpredictably. <laughs> this trip didn't follow a natural order. I mean, they're all over the place on the map. They're traveling everywhere. Uh, and it took time for them to really understand what God was uh, trying to do. And it all, it all started with a desire to revisit the, the churches. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to revisit the churches. And then God gave uh, them uh, some clear direction from that point. And, and for you, listen, there may be nothing dramatic about you making the decision to read your Bible every day, right? There's nothing dramatic about that. You're not like, whoa, you know, and people are like, wow, I'm reading, he's reading their Bible every day. That's unbelievable. Nothing dramatic about it, but that has huge implications to your Christian life. Huge, huge implications. Deciding that, you know what, I'm going to pray 15 minutes a day. Dedicated prayer for 15 minutes. You say, that's easy. Try it. It's hard sometimes. And I'm going to dedicate myself to prayer in a greater way. It may not be earth shattering and, and, and all of that, but it can fundamentally change your life. And these missionaries just used wisdom, and as they followed God gradually, and it was unpredictable, but God spoke to them and showed them what they were doing. At the time, they felt like they weren't accomplishing anything. Think about it. Well, we were going to preach the gospel in Asia, and God said, no, what are we, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? I, I want to go to Bithynia and preach the gospel there. there. There's a great need over there. What? God, you don't want us to go there? What am I doing? Oftentimes, it's in the waiting seasons. It's in those moments where uh, we feel like we're accomplishing nothing, but in fact, we are waiting for God's guidance. And guess what? That's okay. It's okay to wait, and it's okay to uh, wait for the Lord. See, the Lord often prompts us gradually. It's kind of like a mountain trail. I got a picture here of something. You probably heard this term before, which is a switchback. You've heard that. And you know, you guys know I like to go hiking and, and, uh, and all of that. And switchbacks are just my greatest enemy. I just hate switchbacks. And you can look up a mountain and you just see it going like that. And when you're in it and you're climbing, you got your pack on your back and you're climbing a mountain and you're going to switch back and back and forth. And you're talking like two, three hours and you're like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, we are not accomplishing anything. And then you reach maybe a section where the trees are cleared a little bit 
and you're like, whoa, we are way up this mountain. <laughs> we are way up. We are, I, I didn't expect to be uh, this high up. And when you get to a vantage point, you begin to see the big picture of how much progress you've made and where you are going. It's like that in the Christian walk. We just keep walking. We keep being faithful. We keep climbing. We keep growing. And we may feel like we're not accomplishing anything, but when those moments of the big picture reveal themselves, you're like, wow, look at what God has done. Some of you have forgotten how far you have come since you became a Christian. Some of you have forgotten the grace and you've, you, you don't regularly see the grace that God has bestowed upon you and how he has blessed you. You say, I've had hard times. Yes, we all have. But listen, man, we got to recognize his grace in our lives. Recognize what he's been doing. When it comes to following God's guidance, we have to obey his revealed will, uh, will in the Bible. Be sensitive to his prompting. Seek counsel and think over a situation carefully before we make a decision. And then as well, uh, don't grow discouraged along the way, right? Our life's goal is to remain faithful to wherever the Lord leads and be humble and have an open heart wherever it is that he takes us on the journey. Uh, missionary David Livingston, I mentioned him earlier, and interesting, there is an elementary school named after him in Vancouver. It's over by Maine and King Ed. But uh, David Livingston, the missionary, said this. He said, without Christ, not one step. With him, anywhere. I love that. It's so simple. He says, without Christ, I'm not even going to take one step in any direction, but with Christ, I will go anywhere. I'll experience amazing things as we follow him. And as long as God is with us, we have reason to rejoice. Whether you're in a season of wondering, you're like, what's going on right now? You're totally perplexed or you're wandering or in your season of uncertainty or you're in a season of like, I, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I, I, I'm, I'm certain of it. Whatever season you are in, continue to remain faithful to God and seek his will and God will reveal himself to you in a special way. You know, for this missionary team, they had some wandering days, but they're about to experience a season of fulfillment in Philippi as they go over to Macedonia that has never been seen and never will maybe be seen again and what God was doing in the church there. But they endured some trials and they had confidence that they were in the right place. You say, well, what are the lessons here for us today? I'll give you a couple of quick thoughts and I'm done, I promise you. Uh, first of all, they we see them succeeding for the Lord, all of these people that are involved in this situation. Later on, Later on, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas make up. Isn't that great? <laughs> they become friends again. And later on, Paul even asks for John Mark to come and minister him. We see it in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, only Luke is with me. He says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Here's the thing. In the end, God worked it out. Now, God had to do a work in their hearts individually. But eventually, as they submitted to that, God worked things out. As well, we also can learn that God uses unhappy, frustrating failures uh, in our lives to give us new purpose and fresh, fresh direction for our lives. Even when we are at fault, here's the thing, even when we are at fault, God can use our failures to bring about greater blessing and greater direction for our lives. And then lastly, God will lead us according to his perfect plan for our lives and for the ministries that God has called us in. We must be so careful not to box God in by our previous experiences. And say, well, God, you acted this way before in my life. Therefore, you're going to act this way again. That's what Paul was doing. Well, I went out and I did this missionary journey. Therefore, God's, no, no, no. Don't box God in by your previous experiences. Simply trust him and have the right attitude going forward. Sometimes we wonder, why, God, are you directing me west when I want to go north? <laughs> you know, and God, you're telling me to go north when I want to go south. Why, what, what, are you, what are you doing here? Remember, he did not give Paul the vision at the very beginning. He gave it to him later on as he proved himself faithful. The fact is this, God directs us through every situation that we are in, right? God directs us through, uh, through every situation 
the bad and the good, all we can do is yield ourselves to his caring hand and yield ourselves to his will. Say, God, whatever it is that you want to do with me, I'm going to follow you. You don't want me to go here? Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there. You want me to lay aside this thing so I can minister more effectively to others? Okay, Lord, I'll do it. Lord, you, you want me? You want me to go? You want me to go? Right? Okay, all right, Lord, I will go there. I will, I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. I'm going to yield, simply yield to what God has called us to do. And remember that he will guide you with his caring hand. You know that? Where God guides, he provides, right? We love these little sayings. Uh, where he leads, he'll keep you out of the weeds. I don't know. We'll make up a few more things, you know? Whatever it is, God's caring hand is there with you, and he'll take you where you need to go. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.